Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group. Real Hi, you road to growth listeners. Uh, today, we have Mike. Okay, You know, I'm not going to try it. I'm going to butcher it. I, I say last name, Mike. Smirk low. Smirk low. Okay. Okay. That's not too bad. I, yeah. I was like, man, if I say this wrong, so some people take offense to it. Other people, and I want to start on a good a good tone right here for this podcast. No, no. I've, I've had probably my whole life, and it's it just too many consonants, not enough vowels in the last name. So, <laughs> yeah. In fact, most of my fraternity brothers, but way back in college, just call me Smirk. I don't even know if they know my first name. So it's, it's oh, a very wrong thing. No worries <laughs> All right, so you're the uh, co-founder, co-founder and managing director of uh, Next Coast Ventures. You've also done a lot of different other platforms. You, I mean, one of the big focuses is about the book and and helping entrepreneurs here. Um, I mean, we talked about it before we got on the mic. You have a lot of different hats, a lot of different focuses. Um, why don't you? And I know this can be difficult. Kind of define what your, your one of your main passions is or focuses uh, today is. Yeah, well, so I mean, the short, the very short version, I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. I talk about the book in a impoverished uh, family environment, not a lot of role models, a lot of uh, alcohol, divorce, all that stuff. And I worked really hard to change my mental mindset and get myself out of it. Um, but now I would say throughout my career, I've been passionate about building, about creating new opportunities and supporting entrepreneurship. I was an entrepreneur for almost 15 years. And now I look for, I look to give capital and time and attention to the best entrepreneurs I can find. And if you're listening right now, something that I I wasn't aware of before, but uh, your book for all you listeners out there, his book is um, the proceeds go to a charity that you put together, correct? Yeah, we wanted to set it up, my wife and I, for students who are interested in entrepreneurship, but they come from a diverse or underrepresented background. My my passion about it, the world needs more entrepreneurs. We need more mentally strong entrepreneurs, and we need more diversity in entrepreneurship. And so, every dollar proceeds to the book go to uh, support support the scholarship that we set up around those uh, around those initiatives. And, and I have it in the show notes. So, if you're you're watching us live, you can see in the show notes, or if you're listening to the podcast, you'll see in the show notes later on. What's the name of the book again, Mike? It's Mister Monkey and Me: A Real Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs. Now, going back, I know you you talked about it briefly about your childhood. Um, kind of the, the struggles you've kind of had to, to work through and fight through. I mean, we usually learn from from mentors and see someone else has kind of gone through that path. Was that there's someone in your life at a young age that um, kind of showed you the roadmap to become an entrepreneur? Um, I think most of my role models at a young age were showed me what I didn't want to be. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate. I had loving, uh, raised by a single mom who was great. She passed away a long time ago, but it was mostly what I didn't want to be. Um, and early on, I used a lot of self-help. I used a lot of things to try and change my mindset. And then I've, I've been blessed throughout my career to have amazing mentors, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout my career. But early on, kind of pre-college, it was basically how do I get out of Toledo, Ohio and not replicate all of what I'm seeing around it? And, and a lot of that was mental. And that's what I write about in the book. So people go, I mean, this is an idea that that I, it took me a little while to understand, but people go away from fear more so than going towards pleasure. And it sounds like you're going away from the fear of being the, the people that were around you at that time. Do you remember when it clicked 
that you actually started going towards pleasure of wanting more? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, exact moment's hard, but I remember, I always remember one time I was going, I was going to my senior year in high school. I was going to get up early. I played basketball. I wanted to go be a basketball player. I tried to play in college and I was listening to the radio and I'm driving to this crappy old car, literally had rusted out floorboards. And, you know, if you had to sat there, if you went through a puddle, it would splash up on you, all that stuff. And I'm dreary January day. I grew up near an oil refinery. So the smell of oil being refined is everywhere. And I heard this radio commercial. It's not exactly what you're asking, but it was a pivotal moment where it said it was for mattresses. And it said, you're going to spend a third of your life sleeping, so you better have a good mattress. And I remember that moment exactly this day driving and thinking, well, what, what do you do with the other two thirds? Hmm. And it began a quest for me to say, uh, and I used to talk about it in my company when I was running it, but I'd say the other two thirds, if you're, unless you come from incredible wealth, are going to be spent, hopefully a third of it with family and friends and recreating but the other third is going to be spent in some sort of professional endeavor. And it was from there that I started to really purpose, be purpose around what do I want that third of my life to be? Mm-hmm. And I did not want to end up stuck in a job that I hated uh, doing it because I needed to get the money and just being miserable when if I really set some things, some goals and worked hard on it, I thought I could have a differentiated life and it, it turned out to, to work out for me. Did you... Do you remember when you knew what you wanted? It sounded like you knew you wanted something more, yet you didn't know really know the path that you wanted to to go down. When did you yeah, know that path? I had no idea. I literally, I left college. My first job was a public accountant, a CPA in Chicago. I hated the job. I walked in. Some of those jobs I walked in within 30 seconds was like, what have I done? But I did that for a couple of years. And then I got recruited through a friend to go work at a Wall Street firm. I literally had to watch the movie Wall Street way back in the day to try and understand what that job was. Another job that I I worked very hard, I hated it as well because it kind of sucked the soul out of me, but they gave me foundations. Uh, Then I went to business school at Northwestern and then moved out to Silicon Valley in the late 90s. And then it was just like, wow. I started looking around and I went back to investment banking because I needed money and pay off my college debts, my, my business school loans. But I started to see these entrepreneurs and I became obsessed. These were some of the smartest uh, men and women, mostly men at the time, admittedly in the Valley, but they were working hard. They were making lots of money. They were having a blast and they were creating and and breaking out part new industries. And I think it was that time when I really got to the Bay Area late 90s and just saw all the stuff that was happening that I I determined I was going to be part of it. And that was what really began my journey towards finding a path towards entrepreneurship. No, I I mean... I've never lived in Silicon Valley. I went to college in the Bay Area up in Atherton, Menlo College. But I mean, I would think at that time, the late 90s, there's so much business, so many entrepreneurs, so many people coming up with ideas, trying to figure out what's they're going to be, what's going to be their idea. So the idea of wanting to be an entrepreneur and actually having a product where you can actually be an entrepreneur. Yeah. What I mean, what was that like? What is that? What's that mindset like? Is it around a coffee table talking to friends out for drinks? I mean, what was, what was that process like for you? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I mean, one, it was the wild, wild west. I mean, you think it was crazy now. Back then, it was really no rules. And that was kind of the esprit de corps. It was just like, go do something. Go create something. Mm-hmm. And a tremendous amount of optimism. My problem, so what I, I wanted to figure out, I wanted to run something. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. My problem was I didn't have a good idea. So uh, through one of my mentors, I said, why don't you go work for a company and and go work for a startup? And so my first endeavor along that was, I went and worked for a guy named Mark Andreessen, 
uh, and Ben Horowitz, they were starting a, book, a new company. Ben's written a great book about this called The Hard Thing About the Hard Thing. But I drop in. And to me, it was literally like, it would be like if you had thought about running a marathon and you went and trained with two-hour marathoners. Like, it was just that intense. Oh, wow. And so I got two years of working with, and now Mark and Ben run one of the most successful venture capital firms and Mark had, I mean, they're just legends. Um, so I got to work with them 20 years ago, watching them build a company from scratch. Uh, and then I quit. Uh, and then I raised a small pool of capital to go buy a company because I didn't have an idea, but I wanted to run something. And so I bought a small business in downtown San Francisco through luck. I found this business with a business partner and then I ran it for the next 13 years and took it from a couple million in revenue to almost 300 million. Uh, it was publicly traded. I ran as a public company CEO for about three and a half years and then, and then finally retired uh, due to exhaustion and incompetence. But it was an amazing journey for me. And so I got to see others do it and then my own path for, uh, for more than a decade. So, I mean, venture, I, I've had a couple, I mean, I think I maybe had two or three venture capitalists on this platform before and talking to them. You talk to a lot of different companies before you find out the right company. I, I think one of them said it was about 1% or 2%. It yeah. was a very low number. Yep. I mean, when you first got started and you know that you wanted to buy a company, right? How did you come across the company? Were you already looking for it or did it kind of come yeah. across real? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I talk about it in the book. I, I, it was probably the darkest time. I and, mean, you know, entrepreneurship, listen, you've got this podcast about it, but it's it's a roller coaster ride. The hills never go away. It's up and down. And, you know, some days you feel like you've got it all figured out. And other days you lay awake at night and thought, what the hell have I done? Um, but for me, I quit my job. I'd been flying on, a pri on Mark Andreessen's private jet talking about the future of the Internet. Uh, I quit that job raised a little bit of capital, rented a crappy office outside of San Francisco International Airport and started dialing for dollars. Again, this is pre, pre social media, but I was just picking up the phone. We would buy a list of companies and I'd call them. Hi, I'm Mike. Any interest in selling me your business? Um, it was a very, very dark period of my life to, to, to find it. And then luckily we did and, and kind of moved on from there. But yeah, it was really hard. It was all cold calling. Um, and now I'm on the other side of the table where at Next Coast Ventures, yeah, we look at a thousand companies a year and we'll invest in three or four. So I have great empathy for being on both, both trying to buy a business, then running a business and raising capital, and now being a venture capitalist, providing the capital. It's, it's kind of interesting to see the full circle. Well, so in, in the real estate field, I have, a, I have a small team, right? But we do in the cold calling, same kind of thing, right? Like you think about selling your house, you have a buyer looking to buy your house. Sometimes it can get very daunting, you mean, and you finally get, you get the no, 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 no. And then you get the yes. Yeah. And you have to remind yourself, okay, well, I already have the system in place. I have to basically see what the properties were, see what we can sell for and so on and so forth. When you first started doing that, doing the cold calling, right? And you finally get someone to say, yes, I'm willing to sell my, my business. Were you overly excited or did you have to go back to, okay, I have to first check the numbers, make sure this is actually a good company to purchase. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a little bit like they say yes. And then you, then your job is when, cause this, the way I did it, you, you raise the capital to buy it and then you run it. So you better buy a good business. So yeah, you, you definitely have the like excitement and then you got to do all the diligence. It's I'm sure like real estate too. It's like, yes, they want to sell it, but now do I want to buy it? And yeah. that, that was a really interesting part of it. And then you get all the emotional aspects uh, around it, which is always the hardest thing to manage in deals. It's not the financials, it's the emotions. Was there any moment once you purchased that property that you either said, maybe I didn't get the right company 
or yes, I, I, you knew it from the start. This is the right company. Uh, this is the one I'm going to build up or how, do, how was that process like? Yeah, I mean, we we uh, was uh, we got very lucky in that we ended up buying a very good business. Now, in any situation, there was always that moment where remember we a couple months in we lost a big customer. Like, shoot, how did we not cover that in diligence? But luckily, it was a really good business with an amazing group of employees and with customers who really wanted to buy the service. And so it was a, a super foundation. And then we worked myself and the team that I recruited. We worked very hard. It was a lot of tireless, uh, a lot of work, sleepless nights, all that good stuff. But the foundation of the business was a very good one. And that uh, that made up for a lot of mistakes. So you, you build this company up, you're, you're learning it. So this is in the early 2000s? Yeah, I bought it in 2003 and then ran it until 2014. 2014. Okay. So you're in the, I mean, with the, the financial crisis that all happened back yeah. then, Yeah. You, you weather the storm out you're raising it up. And then when did you know that it was the right time? I know you said that, you know, a little tiresome, maybe when did you know it was the right time to walk away from that company? Um, yeah, it's, it's a, I read about in the book. I, I got fired was, is the short answer by my board. So I like to say my, my, when my monkey voice is the whole negative voice in my head, I'll say, Oh, I, I, I stepped down. I got removed by my board as CEO it was long overdue and, I, and I'm still very close to my board. So it wasn't the, the people were on my board. So it wasn't a uh, contentious situation, but you know, Kenley, I've been running it for a long time. My wife uh, just, we just had our fourth child. The business had grown to almost 3000 employees. So I had gone to my board about a year earlier and said, Hey, I'm just, I'm tired. Um, I'm not, I'm not bringing the same level of energy and passion that I did to start. Um, but through a whole, whole things I won't bore you with, we kept going, we got approached to be bought that fell through. Um, and my lead dependent said, Hey, it's time for you to go. And I think my exact words were, you're absolutely right. Uh, but I did, I had the unceremoniously ending to it where I was I, on a Friday, I left and on a Monday I was suddenly unemployed, which was a whole different emotional battle and kind of a, I joke, it was like going to see a great movie where you like the whole thing, except for the last 10 minutes ending. It was kind of like that. The journey was phenomenal. I would have liked to have a different ending, but oh well, it still worked out okay. It sounds a lot like a, a breakup. Did, did, you, did you feel like that uh, you had a lot of Haagen-Dazs and a lot of uh, sad movies? <laughs> I think bourbon was probably my, my Haagen-Dazs. I, mean, I don't I only go into the ice cream. I have a little more uh, brown water, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a really tough... I mean, it's, it's one of those things that happen in life where you know it's the right answer, like a breakup, right? Like yeah. if you're in a bad relationship, you know it's the right thing. I'd actually been trying to get out of the job for quite some time, but it still doesn't take away the sting when it actually happened. And so when it happened, yeah, it was hard and I was sad and it felt like, and the entity kept going. And so there's all this weird stuff that happened. But at the end of the day, um, I stayed on as chairman. I helped the new CEO, recruited a new CEO. So I still was involved with it, but it was just a weird, you know, you, you, I think part of the entrepreneurial journey I talk about in the book is we all have our beginnings. We think what that's going to be like, the middle, but they're all going to come to an end. Uh, even Jeff Bezos, right? 25 years in Amazon finally starts to no longer be a CEO. The ending part is just, you know, we all have our dreams. In my dream, it was going to get sold and I'd ride off to a parade and it ended up being a short phone call telling me not to come to work on Monday. You know? A little different than I expected, but oh well. Okay. So you get, you're drinking the bourbon, you're overcoming this uh, parting of ways, when did you know that you're going to start uh, Next Coast Ventures or 
Cause... Yeah, well, I knew I was at a, it was still relatively young age. Um, I had a ton of energy. I thought long and hard about what would be best for me. I was fortunate that a longtime associate was also, he had been in venture capital, a, a gentleman named Tom Ball, my co-founder, and he was trying to figure out his next gig. Um, my wife and I decided to move our family to Austin where the firm was headquarters. So a lot of things came together and he and I just started talking about whether or not we wanted to work together and what type of firm that we wanted to build. So that was very fortunate in the world of serendipity that came together. But once I started meeting with entrepreneurs, I really had to challenge myself to say, do I want to go back and run something? Or is my calling and my purpose and my energy focused around helping other entrepreneurs? Mm. And it was once I went through that kind of pros and cons, I decided I didn't have the energy. I didn't want to go run something again. Uh, I really wanted to move into an advisor and investor role. And then that was the kind of white light or green light that said, go go start Next Coast Ventures with, uh, with my co-founder. From the start, I mean, were you already getting people reaching out to you, entrepreneurs reaching out to you, or how does that process, like, do you, are you advertising your company saying, hey, we have some money, or looking yeah. for some good people? How, how does that process work when you're, you're building out a, a venture capitalist company? Yeah, you know, it's just like any other startup. First, you got to go get the money, right? You, you know, you, you kind of define the strategy, what type of entrepreneurs, what type of businesses we want to invest in. It took us about a year to raise our first fund, which is about what it usually takes. Um, we set out to raise a $50 million fund. It ended up being $90 million, so it was oversubscribed, which is great. And then, yeah, like we we actually, luckily, everyone around the firm, our, our tagline is built for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. So everyone who works at Nexus Ventures has been an operator has had to hire and fire, has had to make payroll, has done all those things. And so we brought that bent to building out the firm. And one of the first people we hired was a marketing person to start telling our story, to let entrepreneurs we were out there. I mean, everyone, you think like my kids think I'm on Shark Tank. They think I just sit back and someone walks in and you go thumbs up, thumbs down and, and make or break. It's so far from that. You're actually really trying to go and sell to the entrepreneurs and convince them that you can be helpful because there's a lot of money out there. So it's really about trying to get your name out there, Tell them why you think you'd be helpful, and then building out a reputation of uh, of really adding some value. What so? Let's say someone's listening right now. They have a company. They're looking for a venture capitalist to be part of. What's roughly the the time frame that it takes from from first conversation to possibly having something in writing saying, "Hey, this is the structure that we're looking at." Yeah, it's probably going to take. I mean, it all depends. There's so many variables right now. That's a very. It's a very. Uh, bull market, hot market. It's a great time for entrepreneurs to be raising capital because there's so much out there. But I would say on average from getting your pitch deck and starting to make contact through actually funding is probably about a six month process okay. with you know standard deviations on both sides. It might take a couple of months, it might take a year, but all in by the time you get the legal documents done and to get the money in the bank, probably six months. And then how long has Next Coast Ventures been around for now? Uh, we started in 2015, so six years. We're going on our six years of operation. Six years. And then when did you start your, your book? Uh, I wrote the book. Uh, it's kind of, my joke is a little bit like entrepreneurship. If I'd known how hard it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I, I used to, I wrote for a long time under mikesmerklow.com, my website. I would write blogs about entrepreneurship and about learnings as a CEO. It's kind of what I, when I left my company, Service Source, I started, I spent a year Figuring out what I was going to do next, I enjoyed writing. But I would say the real hard work of the book started about two years ago. And then we published it um, last fall, right after the presidential election. The uh, the book went out on Amazon. So you were blogging before as a CEO. 
was that just for your own benefit? I mean, helping out other entrepreneurs? I mean, what's that? Because that takes time out of your day to yeah. put those blogs out there, but that words um, For me, I, so I like to write. It's always been a creative outlet for me. I think it was, you know, I'd love to tell you it was all altruistic and 100% for the entrepreneurs, but I got a lot out of it and I enjoyed the just the mental release and the creativity aspect of it. So I just started doing it. I started writing about, I, I, the initial blog was called The Other Shit. I can say it live, but The Other Stuff. And it was all about the, I bought long thought there was two forms of content for entrepreneurs. There's the one of, Hey, here's what, uh, here's how to write a business plan. And it's very helpful and tactical. And then the other half is the 10 things that Mark Zuckerberg does before 6am, right? It, like say entrepreneur porn. It, it just like, it doesn't really help you. And what does Jeff Bezos eat for breakfast? Who cares? He's the richest man in the world. Uh, it doesn't, it's not going to help you as an entrepreneur. And so what I saw was this gap where, no one was really talking about the mental toughness, the mental side. What does it take to get going on it and then stay on the course? Um, and it just sort of turned out that that's the, that's the content I like to write about. And that was the origin for the book. Did you ever find there's um, I mean, struggles of, of being careful of what you're saying because you're still the CEO of this company. So the, the words you're saying, the words you're using could affect that company but also being honest and truthful to your, your readers. Yeah. Well, I would say like I did some of the writing when I was a CEO, but I really picked it up after afterwards. So I was freed from that. And one of the things that absolutely stinks about being you know, the hardest thing about being a leader or CEO, but certainly being a public company CEO is you're so stifled. I mean, I literally, I, I always had to check and make sure I was saying it. So I started really writing in more in earnest afterwards. And in some regards that was, um, it was like being freed from prison. I could say what I want. I could use cuss words. I could use, I didn't have to worry about what my general counsel would say. Uh, so in some regards, that was, um, it was just a great relief to be able to do that. And that's, if you read, if you read the book, it is not your average business book. That's boring. You'll, there's going to be some explicatives throughout and some, hopefully some funny or at least cringe worthy stories from my experience. Do you, do you ever feel that, I mean, ever worried? I mean, I, because you're still, I know you're not CEO, but you're, you're a venture capitalist, capitalist. You're what yep. you put out there is, is I mean, how you're defined. So people that come to you, they're going to probably read what you put on your blog. What did you write and you put in your book, what they put, you put on social media. Yeah. And they're going to bring their own, own story to the conversation you have. Does that ever play out into anything you put out now? Well, unfortunately, I think that's the world we live in. Like we're living yeah. in a world where people are going to interpret things and spend energy trying to, project and cancel. I would say that Kenley, I spend, I just avoid the hot topics. Um, you know, I've got political view. I've got views on like everybody and everything. I'm not going to waste my energy expressing that out into the world. I, t I focus all of my energy around entrepreneurship and trying to help entrepreneurs. I have fun. I do silly things. If someone wants, I mean, we actually had to redo the book cover because some people thought the book cover was a little too provocative. Um, it had a giant monkey flipping and flipping me off uh, image of me. And, you know, there was some, there, you could interpret it as perhaps it was insensitive and I listened to that. And so we restructured it, but for the most part, I take all the hot topics. I'll leave those to Twitter universe that wants to spend time on it. I'm really passionate about trying to help entrepreneurs. I'm going to be an authentic voice. Um, if it pisses someone off, you know, life goes what, on. What do you think? I mean, let's say if you're, if you're talking to an entrepreneur, Right or talking to a, a a company that you might invest in, 
right? Because I, I know for myself, being in the real estate field, everything I post and my team post, I mean, that comes back. I've lost a couple of clients and I'm not even that aggressive. I try to be very careful what I put out there, yeah. right? And I know I've lost a couple of clients just from stuff I posted. And so do you ever have, I mean, does that ever come up with being that we're in such a social media world, a quote unquote cancel culture where you have to look at the social media stuff instead of just basically the black and white stuff that they provide when you're looking at investing in the company? Yeah, unfortunately, again, I, so I, my, if you go through my boring Twitter feed or Facebook or, or Instagram, it's all going to be about entrepreneurship and my family. And I don't even post too much about my family. So I tend not to. I, I really believe this. If you want to be an entrepreneur, there's so many attributes you're required. Probably one of them is going to be thin skin that's like this thick. Yeah. If, you, if you've got thin skin and you're hypersensitive and you don't like this, like, Kenley, you're not going to make it as an entrepreneur. It's the toughest job in the world. I think it's the greatest job in the world, but it's tough. And so a little bit of it's like, if you're going to be, well, listen, if we're not doing, if my firm or myself are doing something inappropriate, then yeah, flag us and, and, and make us, put us in the penalty box. But if you're going to start looking for things and going too far down paths, I would argue you're probably not going to be a great entrepreneur and, and maybe wouldn't be a good fit. But, but we, don't, we don't really talk about political stuff. We talk about entrepreneurship and, what it, and, what, and how we can help. Okay. So that, I mean, do you see any, and I know you've been in the venture capitalist field, I mean, previously, where you at least were part of it when you first were, I guess, up in uh, uh, the Bay, I mean, Silicon Valley, compared to now, has there been changes in the way that people look at how they define a company, how they define it's a good company, a bad company, things like that? What, what kind of... Yeah, I think well, a couple of things have happened to the startup community is one, capital has flown in at a massive level. And so probably the biggest change in my personal and my professional career is the amount of capital that's going to startups right now from very early days and the valuations are being paid. And this is good for entrepreneurs. It really is. Um, has changed at a disproportionate to anything else. Uh, so when I was raising capital, if you 20 years ago, like a dinosaur, but uh, you know, a $10 million round to start a company was a really big deal. When I was at LoudCloud with Mark and Ben, there were two highly sought after entrepreneurs. I think their first capital round was maybe $20 million and it was like headline worthy. Now companies are raising hundreds of millions of dollars. They're being valued at billions of dollars almost from day one or early days. So that's really changed. I think by far the biggest thought as an entrepreneur you have to consider is, not just do you have a good idea, but what is the capital intensity of the companies you're going to competing with? I think that's been the biggest change by far. Well, is it, what do you attest that, that change to? Is it technology? Is it, I mean, what do you? Yeah. I mean, the good news about my job and, and why I love it is I think we're still super early in every industry getting disrupted. I mean, you're in the real estate space, like, Think about the technology that's coming into your space. There's not a there's not a market out there or business that isn't either faced with a threat or an opportunity around technology. So I feel like we, we are so early on. So that's why I love my job. And, and I think Next Coast is well positioned to, to back great entrepreneurs. I think that so that's changed. And then secondarily, just we've had a record stock market run. We've had great returns coming out of venture capital. And so the fund, the fund size are getting bigger. Everything's just getting bigger. And that's been more of a flow down from the, the public markets than anything else. So those two factors coming together have made venture capital a really interesting place to invest, but it's also just taken the, the stakes and the dollars at work up uh, by a pretty significant portion. 
is there something that you've had to do to to stay with the game, I guess, and and actually adapt to these these higher investments? Is it understanding the entrepreneur? I mean, more is it? I mean, wh what do you have to do to to make sure that you're I guess you're staying with the, the yeah. changes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's always hard. It's like any other investment. You got to be disciplined and you got to think about you can't get caught up in, in, the, in the moment too much. I think what we do is we just emphasize that we've actually done the job before. And that's that's not the key differentiation. But when we're talking to our entrepreneurs, we've all built businesses. We've made massive. I mean, if you read my book, it's it's talking more about the, the many things I did wrong versus the things I did right. Mm. My, my, my career a blog about my a book about my success would be about three pages. So the book is really getting into the mental aspect and, and very specific tips about how to do the job. So I think when we're talking to entrepreneurs, that's what we're emphasizing and we're really helping about how can we be a long-term partner? How can you think about this? Not just what's going on now, but how it may change and how we're going to be there as a partner through ups and downs. Cause you know, these things are cyclical. They end. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you've talked about the, the things you've done wrong so the things you've done right but i mean looking at those things that you've done wrong i mean is there a, a common theme is there something that, that you've learned over time that um has helped you grow and helped i guess could help other entrepreneurs grow yeah well i mean here the thing i've done wrong we're on live uh, you know this, this is my monkey boys right I mean, the whole book's about a, a character and this is what i call mr monkey me this is the voice that sits in my head and says you're not good enough you're not successful imposter syndrome and all that stuff so a lot of my mistakes were listening to that voice and letting it drive my emotions or my reactions. Hmm. In the book, I have a, a formula called the SHAPE formula. It's an acronym, five-letter acronym, that really talks about and gives specific tactics for how you as an entrepreneur, current or aspiring, can develop some of the mental skills that I saw um, myself, but I've seen equally important from great entrepreneurs across our portfolio or other walks of life where I can see, yeah, I see how someone can use this to be more successful. And that's what the, again, the shape formula is all about. Now, if you're going looking back, right. And let's say that company that you purchased three years into it. Yeah. Would that be a company that if they came to you for some money that you would actually invest in? Uh, yeah, yes, it's a type of company. It, it was interesting. I mean, we raised capital, right? About three years in, I went and, and raised capital from a firm called Benchmark Capital in the Valley, which is one of the best of all time. Um, but yeah, it, it had, it was a gr rapidly growing business in a disruptive market. Customers love what it was doing and it was very capital efficient, meaning it was, we were actually profitable business. So it was a rare, business that was growing and profitable, uh, but also had a huge potential. So I would love to see uh, something like that come across my proverbial desk. That would be awesome. What about that? The CEO yourself at that time? That'd be the risk factor. You know, you'd have to look at that gun. Can that jackass actually run this business? <laughs> it was by far was and you know is would be the, the greatest risk. But yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I would say that I brought at that time in my life and my my investors used to kid me about it because I would every time I raise money for it, I would always I'd give the presentation at the end. I'd shut it down and I would just look around the room and I'd say, we're either going to make this success or I'm going to die trying. Hmm. And I wouldn't laugh. And and my investors years later said, we weren't sure you were joking. 
And I said, I don't, I don't know if I was joking. Like I was that committed to it. So I was a maniac and I think I, I made a lot of mistakes, but I worked tirelessly. I was so committed to building a great company, driving real value and, and having it become something of note that um, to say I was out of balance, uh, as my wife could attest, would be an understatement. But, you know, time and place, it was the right time for me to do that. Do you think uh, looking back, like going farther back, like that person in high school, that person that you're talking about, I think it was freshman year or sophomore year in high school. Yeah. Um, do you think that person could ever envision being in your footsteps today? Uh, no, but um, I did a lot of visioning. I mean, a lot of things I did early on to kind of get rid of that voice and reprogram my mind was around visioning. And it was about what do I want to do and imagining a different trajectory for myself. Um, I had some big goals and I, 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 each year I keep resetting them because I've been very fortunate to, to, to be successful and do some of these things. But I think another trap of entrepreneurship is getting complacent. And so I, I don't think my 18 year old self would never believe where I am today, but I also feel like I, I continue to want to, I want to keep setting the bar and raising the bar for myself and seeing how much now it's about how much I can give back and like this book, how can I set up a charity to help other people who are interested in entrepreneurship? That's cool stuff that I never would have imagined being able to do. Well, any last words, Mike, that you want to throw out there to our listeners, people maybe that are struggling or looking to start their their entrepreneurship journey? I mean, any last words that you provide? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I'd say is, listen, I started, I said it earlier, but w the world needs you. I mean, if you're thinking about it, we need entrepreneurship. It creates jobs, it creates opportunities, it creates innovation. So please give it a thought. Uh, I hope the book, it's available. My website's Mike Smirklow. The book, Mr. Monkey Me, is available on Amazon. All the proceeds, we said earlier, go to charity. But I'd love it if people gave it a shot to read. And if you have any feedback, share it with me either at, at mikesmirklow.com or other ways. But uh, no, I really appreciate having me on and I love the conversation. Thank you, Mike, for being here. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about uh, getting into the business, if you're working through a struggle right now, if you're trying to fight through something right now, I mean, take a look at the show notes. Take, take a look at the book and uh, I, mean, I look forward to, to reading it and reading more about in, in at Keller Williams. We talk about this whole and that's the brokerage I'm, I'm under a drunk monkey. So kind of a similar kind of kind of mindset that, that you're providing right there. And I, I love that idea because there's almost, there's there's so much in the back of our head. Our subconscious where it's telling us we can't do that or yeah. we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Or why? Why is why is someone listening to us? And it's like you have to just shut it up. Just be quiet, you know, and uh yeah, that's right. And the book talks about specific ways, but you know, that can, that can be the difference between, if you listen to that voice, you know, man, life can be, you can live an average life, but why, why, why do you want to live an average life? So hope how, how, old, how old are your kids? I've got a 13 year old, two 12 year olds and an eight year old. Have they watched that new uh, Disney movie, Luca? Uh, I don't think so. Why? What, what, I, there, there's more. a, there's a there's a thing in it and he says it often or one of the guys it's a it's cartoon tells the other one he goes you we hear that voice right there tell them silencio bruno ah. and, and it's, it's basically kind of like that monkey the drunk monkey or the monkey kind of thing but silencio bruno just tell him to shut up and you go for it i love it i love it i'll have to check it out yeah yeah yeah. that's that maybe when when uh this weekend that's a great suggestion thank you you're welcome well thank you guys for listening uh follow um, uh, follow Mike for all the information, read the book, follow his journey. Uh, I'm going to find your blog and, and read some of your stories too. I, I can't wait to hear all these uh, juicy stories out there, but thank you guys for listening. 
Uh, please subscribe, please share, and uh, the next Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.